I want to invite the children to come back up here for just a moment. You don't have to sing or dance or anything else. Just come up here. All the kids that are in the room, just come up here for a minute. Line across here. Are we missing? There we go. There's a bunch of them right here. Good. Okay. These are children, just representative of the children of the congregation that we cherish so, so much. Okay. I want to start with an illustration this morning of something that, that literally happened to an evangelist named Everett Swanson in 1952. He went to Korea, and he went there as an evangelist to preach to the troops of the South Korean army. Um, they'd been in a long struggle, long battle. The country had been torn apart by war. And you got to remember, this is a country that's very small, not even as large as one of our states. <laughs> and so just tremendous disaster. A lot of people had died. And there were a lot of orphans left behind. So as he's preaching to the troops, he's going through town, and he's seeing all these people, all these children on the streets. Now we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven up here. All right. Wyatt, since you're the only boy, I'll just I'll give you a little privilege. You go back and sit with your mom and dad again. But once you imagine one of these seven children still had parents to go home to. The rest of them are homeless, parentless. The land is filled with orphan children. And the country is left. What do we do? What do these children do? I want you to think about that for a minute. If it were to happen to us today, and a vast majority of the children are left without parents, what would happen next? Okay, now we'll let you go back to your seats. Maybe that image will stay in everybody's mind a little bit this morning. So this evangelist, Everett Swanson, was heartbroken about the situation. Before he went back to the United States, he was visiting with a local missionary that kind of arranged for him to be there. And uh, he's talking about this situation. What are we going to do about all these kids? And the missionary shot right back to him this challenge. He said, okay, you have seen what's going on. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? When Edward Swanson back to the United States, he talked with his wife, he talked with another Christian couple that he knew, and he said, we've got to do something about those kids. And so when he would go around and preach in revivals and stuff, he would tell every congregation he was preaching to about the children back in South Korea who had no moms and dads. And Christians started to give a little bit of money. They started to say, well, well we've got to take care of those daily needs. Can you just funnel the money through, get it to the local missionary, somehow help out those children so that they can make it in this world and so they can come to know about God. And it started snowballing. And it started becoming more of, a, of an organization, of a, you know, actual sponsorships. People found out that they could sponsor a child with one gift once a month throughout the year and that child would be taken care of. And from that grew the ministry that we know today as Compassion International. Compassion International. Over one million children are helped in over 25 different countries by this Christian organization whose sole purpose is to take care of the children of the world who are not being taken care of by someone else. What began as a missionary's challenge to someone who saw a need to do something about it became Compassion International. Just as that missionary was called to action by that missionary, today's sermon is a call to action for you. A call to action for me. 
It's not just a sermon we can talk about later and say, well, not a good sermon. Didn't you like that story? Didn't you like that he had the kids come up? Or whatever you may talk about. It is not a sermon to be digested and, and stored away in our memory banks for later recall or reference. It is a sermon that demands that we do something as a result of what we hear from the Word of God today. It's just like what we read in God's Word in a passage from the Believe book this week, from James chapter 1, verses 22. He says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, our God has always had this, this deep sense of compassion for the needs of his people worldwide. He's especially touched by the hardship and the injustices that are faced by orphans and widows and many of the poor people of our world. He wants us, his children, then, to care about others just as deeply as he does. God's word says in Psalm 82, which prosper already quoted for us. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And I want to challenge you this morning just to say those words and to try and somehow let them come into your mind. So say them with me, please. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. All people are valuable to God, so they must be valuable to us. They may be different than us, they may look different, they may smell different, they may act different, they may live in some place that we're unfamiliar with or in a place we would never choose to live ourselves, but God's heart is moved to compassion when he sees their needs. And our hearts must be moved to compassion as well. Or what is compassion? Compassion is literally to suffer with. That is to so identify with the needs and the, the, the actions, the, the reactions, the emotions, uh, the trauma that someone else is going through to the point that you feel that. It hits you deep in your gut. In fact, we have this feeling, you know, that it's something that is really in my gut, or something that, that I love them with all my guts, or, or, or some expression. The, the Greek word is actually deep inside of us. Our deep inward part is, is turned about. One of the preachers I was reading uh, as I was preparing this sermon, he says, it's kind of like when you go to Taco Bell and <laughs> afterwards your stomach is churning. <laughs> it's kind of like that. It's deep inside you that it's grabbing you and it, it's just forcing you to think about this. It, it's got a hold of you emotionally and even physically. That is compassion. And some of us define Christian compassion then as sympathy like that coupled with a desire to help, something to do about it, something you can change about that situation. You identify with a need, 
you sense the need, you feel the need, and you want to do something about the need that someone has. Now, we may not be able to fix every problem. We know we can't. We may, may not be able to address every need that a person has, but compassion says, I understand, I appreciate, I feel what you're going through, and I'm going to do something to come alongside you and help you with that. Stephen Covey tells an experience he had on the New York subway. So he got on the subway and they were going from stop to stop and it was a pretty nice quiet car that he was riding in, people just sitting there enjoying the drive, you know, thinking about other things, but nobody's really hardly talking in the whole place. And suddenly at one of the stops, this man enters the car with his noisy and rambunctious children, three or four children. And, and this just total disaster. It turns this little subway car upside down. The man is sitting there. He's got his eyes closed. He's oblivious to what his kids are doing. This once quiet subway car is now a disturbing place for everyone else, you know. And he's doing nothing about it. He's he, like he doesn't even see what his kids are doing. And they're messing with everybody. And they're running up and down the aisles. And finally, Stephen Covey got up and he went over to the man. And he, he wanted to confront him about his children. You, know, you see what's going on here? And the man opened his eyes and he looked up at him. And he said, I'm sorry. We just left the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think. I guess they don't know what to think either. And it totally changed his attitude, didn't it? Totally changed as he understood better what was going on, why it was going on in the first place. Compassion starts when we begin to understand the difficulties and the hurts that someone else is going to. When we come alongside them long enough, deeply enough, to really begin to understand what their life is about. And once that compassion then strikes in our hearts as a Christian, we want to do something about those difficulties and the hurts. But who are we talking about? If Jesus told a parable, a story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, possibly referred to it in the communion meditation. And in that, the question comes up, who is our neighbor? One day Jesus was approached by this Levite, this Jewish man who worked in the temple along with the priest. He's kind of an attendant overseeing different parts of the temple worship and activities. And maybe a student of the law, an expert even in the law, as later on Luke says. And in Luke chapter 10, he tells us about this man, this Levite, coming to Jesus. And he's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered his question with another question which Jesus often did. He wanted to see what people were thinking. He didn't just outright answer a question. He said, okay, well, let me ask you something. What is written in the law? How do you see it? You know, what should you do to inherit eternal life? Well, what do you think, in other words? And the man answered, you're to love your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you're to love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You got it right. You have answered correctly. If you will do this, you will live. I always thought it was interesting that this guy had it right. He got the message. He heard what it was about. He had studied the whole law, and so many people had gone off on these different directions. But this guy could narrow it down to two things. Remember Jesus being answered one, asked one time, he says, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus said these two things. He says, love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. The whole law is summed up in these. And this guy got it right. But he was still left with that question, who is my neighbor? Because I think he was trying to justify himself. I think he was trying to say, you know, I, I, I can't quite love everybody. I love God, but it's hard for me to love everybody else. So who is my neighbor? Who fits in that category? Who's, who's in this, in my view, kind of this narrow little place? These are the people I can love. And Jesus told him the story of the Good Samaritan, which we're not going to look at yet, but in a minute or two we will do. So let me just ask you this question. Who is your neighbor? We have a challenging neighbor. We have a neighbor that it's hard to, to deal with. Maybe you have a neighbor like that. But we have another neighbor on the other side. And we have neighbors across the street behind us. But we're not just talking about our geographical neighbors, are we? Who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, we can all understand compassion when it's people that we like or people that we're already in relationship with. We can understand compassion when it comes down to our relatives or to our close friends. We read this story this week and believe about Ruth, Naomi, Boaz. Remember that story? You got Naomi, the mother of these, uh, with these two daughters-in-law. Her sons had died. They're in a foreign country, and, and they're, they're left in bad shape because women in that day by themselves could not fare well because it was not a culture set up for that, like some cultures today. In America, it's a little easier, but it's still not easy to be a single mom, is it? And so uh, they're in, in hard times in this foreign country, and they come back together to Israel. And they come near the city of Bethlehem, and there's this guy named Boaz who is a distant relative. And the law has said that, that uh, you know, if, if you have somebody in your family and their husband dies and this, this woman is left alone, that the nearest kin should marry that woman to protect her to provide for her. And it was called the guardian redeemer, the kinsman redeemer. It was a, a law of God. It's a levirate marriage, it's called. It's a provision that God made so that widows wouldn't be widows anymore. And, and homeless women wouldn't be homeless anymore. And so as Boaz sees their situation, we don't have time for the whole story, he extends to them his love and his compassion because they are part of his family. He didn't know them before. He didn't, only had heard of Naomi and didn't know Ruth. And Ruth becomes his wife. If you see the full story as it goes on, down the line from them, the descendants of them include King David, great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz. And great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson is who? Jesus. Ever thought what would happen to that genealogy if Boaz had said, not me, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I've got enough to worry about. I, I don't need another wife. I don't need another responsibility. But in, in the name of his family, in the name of a, a God-given commandment, he has compassion. Now, that is a neighbor. That is an example of, of compassion. But Jesus wants to take it a whole lot further than that. What a heritage of compassion he has left us. Jesus is the model of compassion. Christ's compassion knew no boundaries. And if we want to know who our neighbors are, then who are the neighbors of Jesus? Because Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head, did he? He moved from place to place, and everywhere he go, there were new neighbors. And those neighbors were reaching out to him for this or for that. Prosper even talked about that this morning, the leper, and, and the blind person, and the lame person, and the person who had a son die or a daughter die. And all of them are reaching out constantly, 
wanting something from Jesus. And Jesus had neighbors everywhere he went, and he was to every one of them the model of compassion. Matthew 9, 6 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because he saw them like helpless sheep harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. How is it possible to be compassionate to so many different people? Well, Jesus had the ability to set aside who they were, what they had done, all the wrongs, all the reasons they were in the mess that they were in, and to just love them because God had made them and God valued them. And so he never grew impatient with them. He was never offended by their needs. So Jesus saw all the neighbors around him and he loved them. Who are our neighbors? Let's back up just a minute. This question, who is my neighbor? And it's not just Ruth and Boaz and the neighbors that are our friends or our family members. Someone close to us that we extend our love to, that we, we take extra time for, and it costs us our time and our money to help them. This neighbor that Jesus is describing could be anyone. The neighbor that we are commanded to love could be anyone that God puts in front of us. And that, that is such a stretch for most of us, isn't it? In Luke 6, 31 and 32, Jesus quoted the golden rule. He said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But then Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. So if it's just the people in your circle that you love, you've missed it. You haven't learned what you're supposed to learn as a follower of Christ. You haven't found compassion for your neighbor because your neighbors are a whole lot more than you're putting in your circle. Our neighbor is anyone in need that the Lord brings to our awareness. They don't have to be anybody special. They don't have to qualify. They don't have to be from the same family or even the same race or ethnicity that we are. They don't have to be from our block or our neighborhood or even our city. If there is a need that God lays on our hearts to meet, then we should do whatever we can. I have a new need a group, a new neighbor. I haven't even met them yet, but they're in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And at ICOM, it was put in my heart to pray for this group. This group that migrated from China down into Thailand 200 years ago. And there are 80,000 strong of Muslims that no one is telling about Jesus. Nobody's, nobody's communicating to that. They're on my heart now. I don't know them, but someday I hope to do something for them, and I'm praying for them now. Who will God put on your heart? The story of the Good Samaritan is in Luke 10. Let's read it together. Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Remember, it's Levite who asked him the question that he's telling the story to. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus finished his story, and he turns to this Levite, and he says, which of these men do you think was a neighbor 
to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And the expert in the law was smart enough to say, well, yeah, obviously, it's the one who had mercy on it. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Both the priest and the Levite knew better than what they did. But they believed that they were too busy or maybe too clean or too preoccupied to stop and help this. And maybe they were concerned for their own safety. It was a terrible, dangerous road that they were on. And they were hurrying to get to their next place. And they figured they were already on God's business. So why stop for this guy that got beat up? It was his own fault. He, he should have been more careful. And you come up with all these rationalizations for why they can't stop. And the Samaritan who is from a totally different race, totally uh, the enemy of the Jewish man who had been beaten up, he reaches out with compassion. And he stops on this dangerous road to take care of that man's needs. There are so many lessons we could learn from this. We could spend all day talking about this. But let's just think of a couple highlights here. People all around us are similar to that man. They may not be bleeding. They may not be crushed on the side of the road. But in spirit or in, in circumstances, they may be half dead. They may be down and out. All kinds of people have taken advantage of them. And we can choose to ignore them. We can choose to pretend they're not there. We can put on our blinders and go on our merry way to what we feel are our true callings from God. And Jesus is saying, that's your calling right there. You have other ideas, other things that you're going to do, and that's all well and good. Many of those are good things to do. But when you see this person by the side of the road, that's your calling. That's your neighbor. And when truth begins to move, from our head to our hearts. It's called compassion. And we need to stop what we're doing to do what God's doing. God wants something to happen in their life. We must be more than empathetic. We must actually be helpful. We must do something. So what's the moral in the story? <laughs> As they say, well, I, I love what Reggie McNeil said. He said, the moral of the story is this, that we have to get off our donkey to help somebody. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? That's pretty pretty strong. Get off your donkey and help somebody. <laughs> it's high time for us to get off whatever we're sitting on to help somebody else. And this is a call to action. Maybe we can't change the world, but we can change our street. Maybe we can't change the graduation rate of the whole county called Prince William County. But we can mentor one teenager so that he or she doesn't become a high school dropout. We may think that wiping out hunger and, and poverty worldwide is too daunting a task for anybody or all of us together. But we can pack a lunch for a hungry person on a weekend. That's a good place to start, isn't it? One thing you can do. One act of compassion. One stop along the side of the road for somebody that's crushed and bleeding emotionally. One stop along the side of the road when you're in school and that person's in the hallway and it's obvious they're having a horrible day. Something horrible has happened and, and nobody's reaching out to them. Stop for that one person. Maybe you're going into work and you see this employee, you don't even know their name, you've seen them before and you, it's obvious that something's going on in their life and the Spirit of God is prompting you. Stop. Do something for that person. 
help them in some way. It's high time for all of us to get off our donkeys and to do something for the people around us. And you know, if enough of us get off our donkeys, something good is going to happen. Jesus calls all believers to a life of compassion. Not because the law demands it, but because God's love compels us to demonstrate that compassion. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14. He said, His love, Christ's love, compels us to do what we do for others. Well, Matthew 25, near the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus described what things would be like when the Son of Man returns to earth in glory. He said that on that day, the Son of Man, which is himself, would sit on a throne and he'd be surrounded by all of his mighty angels. And he said, all of the nations of the earth, every person who's ever lived, will be gathered around me. They'll be down in front of me, all these people, and I'm going to separate them, right and left, like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I'm going to put some people on the right and some people on the left. And I will make that choice. And they said, well, how are we going to do that? And Jesus said, this is how we will do it. Matthew 25, 34. The king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The righteous are going to answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in, need him clothes, clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to visit you? And the king will say, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. <laughs> in these verses, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that when we meet the needs of the forgotten and the unlovely and the unpopular, the least of the people in this world, then we are serving Jesus. We are serving Jesus, not that he's physically there, but we're serving his compassion. We're serving His love. We're, we're sharing the love that He has in His heart through our hearts to the people around us. And loving other people, meeting their needs, is the best way we have to show our love for God. Our material blessings are not meant just for our enjoyment. We are blessed to be a blessing. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19, verses I just want to leave with you this morning, the final verses of this sermon. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19. Here's a message to us, because we are the richest people on this planet. And this is what Paul said to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What difference does compassion, Christian compassion, make in the way we live? Well, it's going to change everything, isn't it? It's going to change our priorities. It's going to change how we use our time. It's going to change how we use our money. 
You know, our money is just given to us for a time. We are stewards of it. It's not really ours anyhow. Wealth has changed what we do with that. It's no longer just for me. It's for others around me. And we will be set free by a new mindset, by a new heart, to give generously when we trust God's going to keep meeting our needs. It doesn't matter about it. It's a matter of our needs. It's not a matter of me having enough. It's a matter of the blessing and the overflow that I've been given that is to be extended to the people around us that are still in need. God is using me to bless them. People who have been forgotten by society will be cared for. They will be restored to health. Maybe not physical health, but restored to, to uh, an emotional health and to an awareness that God loves them and God has more for them than they've experienced to this point. And we will truly begin reaching our neighborhoods and even our cities and our nations. And while compassion is a deeply emotive feeling that any human can experience, the Christian says it's not just something I feel. It's something I do. Something that I must do because God has called me to do it. The divine filter that God gives us for seeing people as God sees them will lead us both to not only see the need, but to find the resources to meet that need. So let me give you a simple assignment as we get ready to go home today. And that assignment is this. The next time you feel compassion welling up within you, you see that person along the side of the road, you see that person sitting at the desk, you see a neighbor Maybe it's kind of despondent or discouraged or somebody that's sick or even in prison, wherever you may be going and seeing people. Let it trigger you to be in that moment the hands and feet of Jesus to the least of these. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be on our hearts today that we may have your heart. That we would see people as you see them. That we wouldn't be content to just feel a little twinge and, and a little emotion there for a moment and then we go on about our way and the business of our day. But that it would cause us to respond, to do something, to reach out to that person, to spend time with them, maybe even spend our money helping them to invest our lives in them because that is our calling. That is what we are called to do as followers of Christ, who is filled with your compassion. May our compassion be so much more than a feeling, and may it inspire us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.